Good evening. Hope all of you are doing well. Today we are going to be learning a blot and a half of Gemara. We're starting at the very bottom uh, of Yud Beis, Amud Beis, at the new Mishnah. So about 10 lines or so, 8, 9, 10 lines from the bottom, uh, with Machnes Adam Perosov. And we're going to be learning uh, Yud Gimel, as well as Yud Dalal almost to the bottom, five lines from the bottom. Uh, pretty clean uh, sugyas, nothing overly complicated. Uh, and in fact, some, we're getting to some of the halacha lemaisa components of haircuts and all that other kind of stuff. Um, and a little uh, comparison possibly between Erev Pesach and Chol HaMoyed, where there's a restriction of activity on both of those days. Can we really compare them? We'll see that in the Gemara today as well. So let's get started. Uh, last housekeeping note for those who haven't heard, we'll do a blot and a half today, blot and a half tomorrow. Um, and then blot Thursday, and then blot Friday morning, and that will cover us through Shabbos, no daf on Shabbos. Um, we'll be celebrating uh, my son's bar mitzvah with my family, Baruch Hashem. So, um, uh, so I won't be giving daf, which is kind Mazel of... Tov. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> he muted himself. Says the Gemara, opening with a new Mishnah at the bottom of Yud Beis and Mid Beis. During Chol HaMoed, one is allowed to bring in fruits if they are concerned about Ganavim, if they're concerned about thieves. One can also remove flax from its soaking waters so that it doesn't get ruined. Ubilvad, and this is a very important caveat. You're allowed to do these things, but only if it happens to be that way. You can't schedule them to fall out on Cholamoy. That's not appropriate. And here's the Knas of Chazal. If you saved all of that extra work for Cholamoy, you that you, you lose. You, you lost the opportunity. You don't get to do that. So let's say, for example, you saved the flax to be pulled out for Cholamoy. Sorry, flax has to be ruined. You're not allowed to abuse the leniencies of Cholamoid. Yes, there are times we can be lenient and should be lenient, but you cannot schedule the leniency. The Gemara opens, the Brisa writes that when one does these lenient activities of the Mishnah, when we do allow for someone to bring something in, either because of concerns of theft or because a product may ruin, it should be done, it should be done privately. The Gemara tells a story that goes straight in the face of this brisa. Rabbi Yosef Havalik Shure, he had beams, and he brought them into his house during the day. So it says the Gemara, I don't understand. Abaye was the Talmud of Rabbi Yosef. What about the brisa that says, the brisa writes that when you have the leniency to bring things in, yeah, you're allowed to do it, but you have to do it bitsina. You did it at noon, high noon, the sun's out, everyone can see you. So you have to pay attention. It's not just that night is tsanua and day is not tsanua. When it comes to these beams, the better time, the more private time to do so is during the day. Why? Since at night, I'm going to have to get other people. I, right now, I'm with me and my son, whoever I've got my chavra, I can do it privately, just me and a couple of guys. But if I'm home alone, then I have to go find other people. And as well, I'm going to need a torch of fire. So therefore, people are going to look into my yard. They're going to see you're holding a torch. It's not like our common lighting. By the way, the halacha aspect 
aspects of this would change today. That would absolutely change because we have modern electricity. So if Ladugma line, this had two features, but let's say that the only feature was that you had to light a torch. Well, that's not true anymore. Turning on my backyard light is a standard. I don't even think twice about it. Cholamoid, not cholamoid. And therefore I can do this malacha even at night. But he was just giving this as an example. The Gemara says two lines from the bottom. It quotes from the section of the Mishnah of Vishol Mishra, but really it's on the Vigomer. It's on the rest of the Mishnah, which indicates that there's a knas, that if one saves malacha to be done on cholamoid, that we punish him by not allowing him to do that particular malacha, even to the point of loss. And the Gemara wants to know, What's the scope of this rule? Is this intergenerational or is it only for the individual? Does it apply to his children or not? Let's say that a person, he did in fact set aside the malacha for cholamoid. So he takes the flax, and he soaks it in the water the first day of Cholamoid, knowing full well that he shouldn't have done that. But then the person died. Would we extend the loss even to his children, such that even the children can't remove the flax from the water? Or no, would we say that the din is only on the person who did something wrong? Or is it inherent in the object? That's the Chakira the Gemara is going to make. So the Gemara says, If you want to say that it's similar to the case, top of Yud Gimel Amad Aleph, of Tzerim Ozen Bechor, where we know that a Bechor has to be given to the, to the Beis HaMikdash. If in fact there is a Mum, so then it doesn't go to the Beis HaMikdash, it's not Karev. However, if you are the one who causes the Bechor, that's Tzerem Ozen Bechor, Rashi, it says, You cut a little bit off of its ear. So then in that case, the, the Gemara tells us about that case of the Bechor, that Kansu Beno Acharav, there, you're right that the knas is intergenerational. It does go down to the next generation of children, but that's different. So we can't really learn from there to our case of Chol And if you want to try to learn from another case, from the case of Machar Avadol, let's say that a person uh, owns a non-Jewish slave and he sells that non-Jewish slave, which you're not allowed to do. Why are you not allowed to do that? Because when a non-Jew is a slave, he keeps halachos similar to the way that a woman would keep halachos and that all of the time-bound mitzvahs are exempt. But all of the mitzvahs that are not time-bound, he keeps. So therefore, it's not appropriate to do so. So there in that case, what did we say? There too, the children got a knas. But that's also not comparable to our case of Cholamoid because every single day, that Evid is not keeping mitzvah. So the children have a continual chiyu, generation after generation, to redeem, to buy back that Evid. So we can't learn from any of those cases. Ha chamai. Therefore, what about our case? Our case where one intentionally saves malacha to be done during Chol Hamod. Do we say, and here is the, a classical chakira, of Hefza and Gavra. Do we say Gavra Kanis Rabbanon, the punishment is on the person, the guy who did something wrong, but he died, and therefore nothing wrong with his children's generation. They don't have to take the loss. Odilma Mamona Kanis, really, it's his product, it's his money that has the Knas, Rabbanon, and his money still exists. He's buried, but the, the flax is still sitting there. This is such a Lamdesha Chakira. We would have expected to see this in a Rav Chaim, and the Gemara presents it very, very clearly. So Amarle, the Gemara says, in order to answer our question of whether or not it's a din in the Gavra or whether it's a din in the Chefza that we've already learned, Tanituha, we have a Mishnah that speaks about this. What's the case? The Gemara says seven, eight lines down in Yud Gimel Amad Aleph, Sadeh 
If there's a field that you weeded, you removed the thorns on Shvis, so then that activity is not awful. It's not mutter, but it's not awful. And Tizra, the Motzei Shvis, one is then still allowed to plant on Motzei Shvis. However, Nataiva o Nadaira, these are two types of fertilizing of the ground. Lo Tizra, the Motzei Shvis. If you do that, then you're not allowed to, uh, to plant the field on Motzei Shvis. And on that halacha, the Amar Yosi Barchanina, Naktinan, Hetiva Umeis, Benozorah, that if in fact, you did do this type of fertilizing of the ground, and then the person who did this died, then Vino Zara, then there's no problem with the with his son. His son is allowed to plant on Motzeshvis, no problem at all. So says the Gemara, maybe we should say, Hachanami, here too by Chol Hamoid, that really, as it relates to Archakir of Chefts and Gavra, really the din is the Knas is on the Gavra. And Libre, Lokanse Rabbanon, and on the child, there is no Knas. And Amar is similarly, Naktinon, Time Taharosa Vumes, let's say that a person was Metame, another person. So Ruven was Metame, Shimon's Taharos, and he, and Ruven died. So now Shimon is stuck with the loss. He's got all of these Taharos that he has nothing to do with anymore. They're Tame. Lokanse Benoacharab. The halacha is that we, um, that we don't punish the child afterwards. Why not? My taima says the Gemara, uh, and this is a very uh, important idea. Hezek she'eno nikar hezek. If there is a damage that is invisible, hezek, it is not considered hezek to the point that it needs to be repaid. Afalp that the person on the receiving end lost some finances. It's true, but because tuma is invisible, so therefore um, oh, I should be careful with that language. That's a big discussion as to what uh, how we understand this line of hezek she'eno nikar hezek. Is it because it's invisible? I don't. I wasn't uh, saying one way or the other. Just. Trying to clarify the idea, that's not Hezek and Then the only knas would be on the individual himself, Libre Lo And that brings us to a new Mishnah. Let's continue one third of the way down. Yud One is not allowed to buy houses or slaves or animals. You're allowed to buy something for Litzorah Hamoid. Or, and catch this, a little bit of a subtlety, you're even allowed to buy something you don't need in order to give income to the mocher, she'en lo mayocha. So you know that the guy working behind the, the desk is someone who's, uh, who's destitute. He has no food at all. You don't need any animals. You have enough meat. You have enough everything for cholamoid. First day of cholamoid, you're walking by. Nebuch, you know the person doesn't have any money. So halacha you're allowed to take your wallet out and buy something. Afal that it's not letzara chamoid, but you're feeding someone who has no money. So says the Gemara, from your perspective as the buyer, that's absolutely appropriate. Asks the Gemara, can I hire that person individually to work for me? What are, what are our thoughts on that? Maybe we can extract from our Mishnah, what case would that be including? Can't we hire the guy as well? No, that's low. That's not how to understand the Mishnah. The Mishnah is just explaining itself. It's saying, what is the case where we're allowed to service someone who has no food, it's only when he's already a mocher, but for you to hire him is inappropriate. So we can't learn from this first answer of the Gemara of our Mishnah, uh, the, the answer of our Mishnah saying that you can uh, pay a mocher. Eisve, the Gemara asks a question. Hold on one second. Eisve Abaye, ein kosvin shtarechov b'moed. One is not allowed to, generally speaking, write contracts of fiscal obligations on cholamoid. 
However, if the person you're interacting with is not trustworthy, or he has nothing to eat, or there's a risk of, uh, of total loss of funds, then you're allowed to write that because it's not reasonable to put yourself into poverty on for not having written this star, which you should be able to write. What is that case coming to include? Obviously, that case must be talking about because in this case, we don't have someone who's a mocher. <laughs> there's no mocher. Obviously, it's coming to include a new case. Shmamino. And on that, the Gemara asks halfway down eight lines before the wide lines, Mosi Rav Sheshes, hang on one second. There are four professions that are allowed to do malacha on Erev Pesach. Three. Very good. Thank you for paying attention. Why don't even say that? I don't even know why I said that. Shalosh umlios, there are three professions that one can do on Erev Pesach until Chatzos. Hachayot and the tailors, Vahasapar and those giving haircuts, Vahakovs and those who do laundry. They run the laundromat. They run the cleaners. Why the Chayotin? Chayotin, Shikain, and this is where we start to see a comparison between Erev Pesach and Chol Hamoid, seemingly two things out of totally different planets, and we'll see that the Gemara is not going to really like this comparison, but here's the starting point, four lines before the wide lines, Chayotin, Shikain, Hedyo, Tofer, Kedarka, Bechulo, Shalmo, we know you can do that in Chol Hamoid, so therefore the Gemara makes it a standing assumption that therefore it's Mutter on Erev Pesach. Hasapar and Vahakovs, and what about the people who give haircuts and the people who do laundry. Shekane, because there are plenty of scenarios that apply over there. Haboyin mi medina sayam. If you have someone whose trip was delayed and they ended up getting back during Cholamoy, they didn't have their shaver with them. So they couldn't they couldn't cut their beard before uh, Yontav started. who comes out of jail. That one is allowed to do uh, to do haircuts and laundry on Cholamoy if you are just coming out from Medina Sayam or from prison. So says the Gemara, I don't understand. We said there's only three professions that are allowed to do this when they're poor. That you can hire someone to do anything. After all, why only these three are listed? It should have been anyone who's poor. Why, why the distinction of these three? These three is irrelevant. If the person's poor, you can do any malacha he wants. There's no reason to assume that there should be only three for him. If we're allowing him to do whatever he wants, then why, do, why does the Brisa list only three? The, the Chayat and Saparin and the Kovsin? Answers the Gemara. Good point. <clears throat> answers the Gemara. Your argument is not good. Although the Gemara's argument here is not so strong either. Maskevlar al-Papa and Meata, if what you say is true, then Binyan, Lishtari, then we should be able to build buildings. Why? Because we learned the case scenario that when there is a building, when there is a kosel that is leaning over in Rishus HaRabim, the halacha is so serubona kedakrim nasakana. We've seen this b'risa before, that on Chol HaMoed, one is allowed to build a building as long as build a wall if the wall is leaning over and it, it looks like it's fragile. So that seems to imply if it's mutter on Chol HaMoed, it's mutter on Erev, uh, on Erev Pesach. And that's not true. Although the Gemara doesn't say where we know that that's not true, but it's not true. We're not allowed to build at that time. So what we see is that just because someone's poor doesn't mean that they can be hired for everything. We don't really know the balance between you can only do three things 
and a poor person can be hired for certain things. We don't have a, a lot of clarity in the Gemara, but what we know is that you're not allowed to build that building. So says the Gemara, let's continue asking questions on this discussion. If what you're saying is, is that there's some degree of subjectivity in regards to what this schar uh, pu'ula can do, then lavlar, if you have a, a sofer, lishtere, he, we should be allowed to write why? Because shekin kosun kidushe nashim gitin v'shovrin. You're allowed to write kidushe nashim. You're allowed to write gitin and shovrin receipts. So therefore, says the Gemara, maybe, maybe our presumption of that there is a comparison between chol hamoid, that which is allowed or not allowed in chol hamoid, as it relates to the world of erev Pesach, maybe that comparison is not so good. moed karamis. How can you compare these two? What's the whole underbelly? What's the logic of Chol Hamoid? Typically, we have a restriction of Tircha. But when there's Makam Pseida, when we have a loss, then Sharu Rabbanan, I understand. However, our boss, our Mishum Tzarech Yom Tofu, when are the three people allowed to do their thing? That's all. All of them are related to Tzarech Yom Tov. Midi de Tzarech Yom Tov, Sharu Rabbanan. Midi de Lo Tzarech Yom Tov, Lo Sharu Rabbanan. So the Gemara bifurcates these two areas of Chol Hamoid and our boss, our Shal Pesach, that 14th day, Shal Nisan, and they're no longer compared. Good. Then the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says uh, a new Mishnah, six, seven lines from the bottom. Ein mefan in me bias the bias. One's not allowed to move utensils from one house to another. Aval mefan But one is allowed to move something from their home to a chatzer. Ein mevin kalim. The Mishnah continues. You're not allowed to, to pick up. You're not allowed to bring, it seems, to bring utensils mi uman. Uh, from the house of the expert. If you're concerned that by leaving them over, you'll, you'll incur a loss. The person's really not trustworthy. Everybody knows that if you leave something for more than a few days, he sells it, whatever the details are. So then you can move it to another chatzah. Okay. Says the Gemara, the Reisha and the Seifa don't shtim. Amris, you said, Reisha, you said in the beginning, So how can you say then in the Seifa that you can even bring it to a Chatzar Acheres? So, all that was happening in the Seifa was not from Chatzar to Chatzar, it was from a bias to a Chatzar, from the house of the, um, of the Uman into a Chatzar, and that was considered to be the distinction, but the Reisha and the Seifa don't have a distinction between them. It says over here that they're in our Mishnah that you're not allowed to collect Kalim from the Besa Uman, from the home of an Uman, of an expert. So Amar of Papa, of Papa tells a story. Badik Lan Rava. Rava was testing us. He was giving us a Bechina, Faher. So that Rav Papa was fourth century of Amorayim, which means that Rav Papa, Rav, Rava was fourth century, which means Rav Papa was fifth century. A little bit later, he must have been a Talmud. So says the Gemara, what was the what was the question that uh, Rava was asking his Talmudim? So he juxtaposed two sources in the Tanaim. Here's the first. Tanan, the Mishnah writes, You're not allowed to bring Kalim from the Besa Uman, from the expert's home. You dropped off uh, a hammer, whatever it is, and you want to pick it up? That says you're not allowed. Or minhu, and here's a double language. Molichen, you can bring umevian, and you can take and you can bring. You can bring to the uman and you can bring it back from the uman. Even if you don't need it. So this is the kasha. He puts a question on the floor. Two sources in the tanaim. 
What's the din, uh, Talmidim? What is the halach? So they responded, They said back to him, plural to singular. They said, don't worry. One of these is talking about the 14th of the month of Nisan of Erev Pesach. And one of them is talking about Cholamoid. Which one's which? Special thank you to Rashi. Rashi says, bottom line, what does he say there? I'm sorry, I skipped one Rashi. Two lines from that on Kalim. On Erev Pesach, there's no problem with that at all. Bring the Kalim, then go pick them up. You need them for Yantif. It's Tzorach Yantif. That's the lumbus we saw earlier. Because that may be viewed as a Tircha. And there's no Hefzit. Fine. So that was the answer that they gave. And then the Gemara posits, though we will reject it, the Gemara posits a second possible answer as to how we distinguish between these brisas, between these two sources in the Tanoim. Maybe we can say, maybe really both of them are talking about the same thing. Both of them are talking about cholamoid. What then would be the distinction in the brisas? Uh, so it says the Gemara, kan ma'amino, kan ma'amino. One is talking about a case where we trust the person, and the other is talking about a case where we don't trust the person, and that's why there's a distinction between the brisas. So, uh, and then the brisa at the top of the next page says, ve'hatanya, we actually have a proof of this. Uh, Rashi, ve'hatanya uh, siyua, this ve'hatanya is a helpful one. Uh, the more you go through Shas, the more you see that Vihatanya is not as um, regularly used as it is mostly used that way for sure. I, what, what's the number 80, 20? The default is, but Rashi doesn't. Correct, correct, absolutely. Also, I, I was just going to ask that question. Yeah, you see you. Derivation. Correct. Was it CUA before? I remember there was a derivation from Benikusa. I don't remember what the word yeah. was. When I was in the yeshiva, I was in Rabbi Bechoffer's shir for a hot minute. And I remember once that he asked us the following question. He said, why does Rashi sometimes say klomar and sometimes not say klomar? I don't remember the answer to the question, but, but to be, it is a it's classic. But here also, the way my brain just did what your brain did, which is why does sometimes Rashi say benichusa and sometimes say siyua? And the siyua, the language is, is helpful. It's a it's really it's a good it's a support. It's like a statement, right? What? literally just means it's benachas. It's yeah. not meant to be a provocative question. I don't know. Requires research. With, there will not be Rishonim on this stuff, I'm sure, but maybe it's like a Pneyoshua type of thing. Anyways, Vatanya, to support this possible distinction of trusting versus not trusting someone, maybe therefore having this as an answer as to how we can understand the difference between these two sources in the Tanaim, this Brisa writes, to get a pitcher from the pitcher maker, to buy a glass or a cup from the glass blower. This reminds me of Yom Kippur, uh, What's the language? Hamizageg, the one who, make, who, who makes glass. Aval, lotzemer mi you're not allowed to do this with wool from the uh, the person who's dying the wool below. Kalim mi uman, and not with kalim. but if the person has no food, no sein lo then you can pay him no problem. And then our distinction that that the Talmidim wanted to suggest is answer number two. They said, uh, but if the person's not trustworthy, then you move it to the neighbor's house who you might trust a little bit more. This guy's not so honest, but he's the best in the business. So you go to him and he does a great job. Okay, let's get it out of his possession now. My picture has been fixed. I'm going to bring it to my neighbor's house. 
If you're concerned that it might get stolen, skip the parentheses. So then, says the Gemara, that then you're allowed to bring it to your house. If you're concerned about Ganeva, you can bring it Bitsina, just like we started out today in that Mishnah with the story in the Gemara of uh, Rav Yosef bringing in the beams. So that's what the Gemara says, that maybe we can use this brysa as a support to the idea that sometimes we trust people and sometimes we don't. And when we don't trust people, we can be a little more lenient. To this, the Gemara says, not a good argument. And your answer number two does not work. Why not? I could understand bringing it to the person, but molichin, uh, I should say, bringing it home is okay, but molichin, bringing it to him in the first place, kasha. The Ketani, the Brisa doesn't say that. It says, ein mevien, the kolshekein ve'en molichin, the language of ein mevien in one of the Brisas leaves rooms to leaves a lot of room to say that you can pick it up, but certainly you can't drop it off. And therefore, the Gemara says, your answer number two about these conflicting Brisas is not good. We then need to go back to our first answer. Rava had posed a, ch- a challenge to his Talmidim. Rav Papa was there, and he gave the first answer. One Bryce was talking about Arba Asar Benisan, Erev Pesach, and the other was talking about Cholamoid, and that distinction stands. But the Havamina, the possible answer of saying that one Bryce was talking about Cholamoid, where we trusted the guy, and one Bryce was talking about Cholamoid, where we don't, that answer does not, uh, does not pass the smell test. And that brings us to yet a new Mishnah, third one of the day. Yud Gimel is about 12 lines down. Says the Gemara, One is allowed to cover over the dates that have been cut with straw. You can even do so with a thick layer. We'll see what this means in the Gemara. You have people who sell fruits and clothing and utensils. One is allowed to sell them in some private format uh, for the sake of the holiday. Hatsayadin, people who are trappers, Vahad Deshushos, people who crush grain for a living, Vahad Grusos, people who crush or uh, or cut up beans for a living, Grisen, Osin Bitsina Litzorachamoid, same halacha as the other people. They're allowed to do their work, but it has to be done Bitsina, it has to be done somewhat privately. Rabbiosi Omer, Heim Hechmiru al Atzman, they have been strict on themselves. What is this going on? Is, is this going on the Reisha? Is it going on the Seifa? Is, is the is the Chumra to be Bitsina or is the Chumra not to do even that? But well, we don't know. The Gemara is going to discuss this, uh, this discussion and it's going to discuss, discuss it shortly. But first, we have something else to deal with. Says the Gemara as it opens up a third of the way down and you'd give them a base. Pligi bar asi. These two Amorim have a machlok. As and both of them, they're having a conversation from the very early centuries of the Amorayim, between Chizkiah and Rav Yochanan. That Mechapen means to cover lightly, so you're not really doing a thick layer. And Ma'avin, when the Mishnah says, Ma'avin asmuche, that's to even put all the pieces, some close together, to create a thick layer. When we say that you can cover over the dates with straw, whether or not they're loosely laid out or tightly laid out, it doesn't matter. Both are, are fine. What does it mean that they're thick? Make it into a pile, you heap it on, and that way it can be really protected from, uh, from the... Uh, uh, from the sources of, uh, of sun and rain, whatever it may be. Tanya Nami Hachi, the Brisa agrees with one of these shitas, which one? The latter. Me'aven, oso, uh, me'aven what does me'aven mean? Oso, oso, kemin kri, dibir of Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda was of the opinion that me'aven was to make a pile, and that's considered permissible on chol and it is not deemed to be a tircha. Okay, we had said in our Mishnah, the case of Mochre Peres Ksus Vekele Mochre Metzina, that people can do their professions under certain circumstances, 
provided that it's done betzina, that it's done in a private, uh, semi-private way. When the Mishnah says that there was a Chumrah, in the name of Rabbi Yossi, that there was a Chumrah, does the Chumrah mean above and beyond what the Mishnah writes, that it was done betzina, they were machmer to do nothing, that they weren't allowed to sell at all? Or perhaps, or is the Mishnah referring to that which was the Chumrah? Was Bitsina the Chumrah, or was Bitsina the baseline halacha, and the Chumrah was not to do it? That's the Gemara's question. Toshma, halfway down, second of the wide lines, third of the wide lines, the Gemara says, let's take a look. In this b'risa, the Tanakhama is of the opinion that those who sell fruits, clothing, and utensils, they can sell Bitsina, they can sell privately for the sake of Cholamoy. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Tagre Tveria, the merchants of Tveria, they wouldn't do anything, which means that when Rabbi Yossi in our Mishnah says that there's a Chumrah, so the Chumrah of our Mishnah is just flatline. You cannot do anything. Forget it. Bitsina was the baseline din, and the Chumrah is to do nothing. That was how Rabbi Yossi understood things. And similar, similarly, people who are trappers of small animals and birds, vidagim and of fish, one can do so, but they have to do so privately. What does Rabbi Yossi say there? Rabbi Yossi Omer, the trappers of Ako, again, nothing at all. And what about the next part of the Brisa? So the, the Gemara, the Brisa continues, the Shushe, Chilka, Targis Vitisne, those who are crushers, and we'll soon see that these are different types of crushing. So they were doshish in Vitsina, they were allowed to crush up grains as were necessary, but it had to be done Vitsina during the Moed. And what does Rabiosi say here again, the, the trifecta? This is the third time he said this. Omer Dushushe Sipore, the people who were the grain crushers in Sipori, nothing at all. So this is a, the answer to our question. We had asked, and in our Mishnah, it says that when you're allowed to do certain things, Bitsina. Rabiosi came along and said, yes, and there were people who were Machmir. Was Tzina the Machmer? No, it was not. That's what the Gemara concludes in the, in the name of Rabbi Yossi, that the Chumrah was that these people could not work at all. Now let's get in a little bit to the types of cutting that people did in the grains. Amar Abaye, the phrase Chilka was a reference to grains. It's where you broke the grains into two pieces. Targis was a type of cutting where it was like the peace sign. You press it down, it has three sections. Chadalitzlas, it breaks the piece of grain into three pieces. Tisni was in quadrants. It would cut the grain into four quarters. Kiasa Ravdimi, he says, I disagree. Omar, he says that Chilka is actually Kunta, and Kunta is spelt, which is, of course, one of the uh, one of the Chameshes Mine Dagan. Browse, barley, rye, oat, wheat, and spelt. Browse are, are the, the five grains that leaven, and therefore they're the five grains that count as bread, and they're also the five grains that count as matzah. So that's why uh, the Rav of our shoulder by Robinson has a very sensitive stomach, and he eats oat matzah. I think it's $70 a pound, something off the charts expensive, because it's the only thing he can really eat without putting himself bizarre. That raises the great shayla, how far does one have to go to be yotze? A mitzvah, how much pain do you have to go through? Hospitalizations, medications, these are great shilas, not for now, and I don't know the answers, even if it was time for now, but they're good questions to talk about. Anyways, Rav Dimi, when he came from Eretz Yisrael, posed a, a different opinion. Our Gemara presented that chilka was a regular grain, wheat, whatever it was, broken into two pieces. Rav Dimi says, no, it's kunta, it's actually spelt. 
Basically, the Gemara says, I don't understand how that's possible. Chilka targis v'tisni, these three types of grains, Chilka mentioned again, we say that they're tmein b'chol makom, they're always going to be tamein. Now, <clears throat> How do we understand this brisa? According to the ones who says that Chilka is one to two, Targis is one to three, and Vitisni is cutting them into four pieces, because when these things are cut, apparently there's water involved, so because they're wet, they're always subject to Tuma. But according to the one who says that Chilka, this is the Shita of Ravdimi, when he came from Eretz Yisrael, that Kunta is spelt, Spelt just sits in water all day, and that doesn't even make any sense. There's no reason that the Bryces should say that Chilka is going to be Iskashra, um, that it's going to be wet for the sake of becoming Tameh. And therefore, I don't understand how can you possibly say that Chilka is going to be spelt? Answers the Gemara, don't worry, we can still support the Shita of Ravdimi, Kigon de Miklafan. It's when they peeled the outer chaff off of the spelt. The only way that it peels is when it is actually sitting in water. That's how you soften the peel. Very good. Why was it called? That when you took off the peel, it was super smooth and chalak. Uh, that's what we, the language of chalak in, in Hebrew, I guess probably more Aramaic, is, uh, means very smooth. So the spelt grain itself was actually very smooth when the chaff was removed. Mesve, the Gemara says, I have another question for you against Ravdimi. If a person takes upon themselves that they're never going to eat grain, a carb-free diet, says the Gemara, you're not allowed to eat a dried pool hamitri, a bean that was grown in Egypt. But it's permissible to eat a moist one of those. No problem eating um, eating rice because rice is not really a grain. It's on the fence. And the Gemara says, using the language that we need right now, when it comes to this, what Ravdimi wants to say is spelt, that's mutter. Now, had it been that chilka was grain and not spelt. That chilka is one to two, targis is one to three, and tisni is one to four parts where the grain is broken up in those respective numbers. Shapir, for a person who says to themselves, I'm not eating any grain, so it's no longer dug on when you grind it up. I would never have thought that. You break a piece of grain in half, all of a sudden it's not dug on anymore. Can they eat bread? Bread is broken up into millions of pieces. That I don't understand this Gemara. I'm just saying that we're missing something. I'm missing something. But the Gemara seems to say that a person who's no there may not dug on, that as long as the grain has been broken into pieces, then there's really nothing wrong with, um, with eating grains that have been broken up. But But according to the one who says that Chilka is actually spelt, why, why can't? Of course it's dug on. It's spelled barley right we spelled. Of course it's going to be, of course it's going to be problematic. That price is very difficult. Kasha, that puts a big question mark on the Shita of Ravdim. Either way, one last story slash halacha to bring us to the end of the parak, and then we're going to jump into some new halachos. Ravhuna Sharlahu, the Hanhu Krupaisa, Lameza Lizvune ki orchaihu bishuka. Ravuna allowed for these spice sellers to go sell things in the marketplace as they normally would. No, no, no tznias required. I don't understand. 
Chanus Psucha Lestav, if you have a store that's open to a private area, then Posech Benoa Kedarko, then I agree. The store can open, no problem. However, Psucha Lershus Harabim, but if your store is opened to the public area, so then halachos change. Then poseach achas v'nol achas, you open one door and close another. The Arab yom tov ha'acharon shelchag. And if you are on the eve of the last day of Sukkot, motzi u'me'ater eshuke ha'ir be'peros bishvil kvod yom tov acharon. On that, on that last day before the last day of Cholamoy, you can go out and decorate the shuk as you wish so that people can buy things. What is the Gemara, what's the Gemara's diuk here? Mibnei kvod yom tov ha'acharon in. Shalom mibnei kvod yom tov lo. So the only time it seems to be mutter to just carte blanche, go, go uh, sell your wares is when it's Erev Yom Tov of Chag. So how can you tell the spice sellers to go sell with no compunction? That doesn't even make any sense. Where well, they have restrictions, answers the Gemara, Lokasha, Habipire, Habitavlin. There is a difference between Peros and there's a difference between Tavlin and Tavlin. We can be more lenient. And when it comes to Peros, there we have the rules. Uh, that were suggested above, uh, right just above in this brisa that Rav Kahana brought, that if the doors open to a very public place, then we have restrictions, and it would only be mutter on Erev of uh, the last days of Chag. Baruch Hashem, we finished another parak. Hadron Allah Mishafach, we just finished the second parak of Maseches Moikatan. Yiratzon, we should come back to this daf in seven and a half years. Mazel tov. Says the Gemara, the Elu Megalchen Bemoid. Some people are allowed to shave during Cholamoid. Abami Medina Sayam, someone whose uh, boat came in late and they couldn't shave on the boat. Umi Besa Shivya, someone who was held captive. Vayotzi Mi Beso Asurim, someone who was released from prison. Vahaminuda Shaitir Lochachamim, someone who was put into excommunication and the excommunication completed during Chol HaMoed. And similarly, someone who uh, uh, asked to have Hataras Nadarim on something, and it happened to fall out during Chol HaMoed. When they come, the Nazir and Mitzorah, when they exit their state of Tuma and enter into a state of Tara, like for example, we have we know that Stam Nazir is Shloshim Yom. So if a person says Stam Nazir is Shloshim Yom and they did it 30 days before Chol HaMoed, they're allowed to shave. Unless they did it on purpose, they're allowed. They should be allowed to shave during cholamoy. All that's about shaving. The following people can do laundry on cholamoy. We're going to learn the actual reason why in the Gemara on the top of Yedala But who are the people who can do kvisa that they can do laundry? Says the Gemara. Similar list, but not identical. Habami Medina Sayam, someone whose boat landed a little bit late during cholamoy, from having been held captive. someone who was in prison, turning to the top of Yedala chachamim, and a person who just got out of excommunication. Someone who just got a heter for hataras uh, nedarim, mitpachos hayadayim, towels for one's hands, and mitpachos hasaparim, the towels that are used in uh, in hair cutting, umitpachos asvag, the towels that are used to absorb water, like the towels that we use, though our towels can hold a tremendous amount of water. Nevertheless, all of those seemingly uh, can be washed. That's what the Gemara says. Hazavin vehazavos, when they exit their period of time, they are allowed to do laundry. Vehanidos vehayoldos, women who are exiting their nida state, they used to wear different clothes back in the day. Uh, when a woman was a nida, it was distinct because of her clothing. As my Rebbe used to say, there's nothing not sanua to know that a woman is a nida, but there's something very not sanua to know that a woman is going to the mikvah. That we don't share. And over the years, I have heard people just casually say, yes, uh, yes, tomorrow's mikvah night, I'm not available. That's completely inappropriate. We do not do that. 
that's not from, that's not right, that you, you're better off lying in halacha. Halacha demands of someone that if they have no other option, that they should lie. Just say outright, I have a board meeting. Say something that isn't true if that's the way that you have to get out of letting children know that a woman is going to the mikvah. That is very much not sanua. <clears throat> Says the Gemara, Anyone who's exiting a phase of Tuma to Tara, they're allowed to do laundry during Cholamur. But everybody else, the average Joe, whoever it is, they're not allowed to do laundry. Asks the Gemara. On the top of Yudal and Amanala, six lines down into the Gemara, the Gemara says, when the Mishnah says at the very end of the Mishnah that everybody else is not allowed to do laundry, I understand all the kulas, but why is it that nobody else can do laundry? My time asurin. Says the Gemara, Kiditznan, we're going to learn something out of left field and we'll come right back to our sugya. Kiditznan, the Mishnah writes, this is a Mishnah that we have seen before and not too long ago. We saw it in Masechta ago, almost 30 blot ago. Kiditznan, the Mishnah writes in Masechta's Tainus, Anshe Mishmar va'anshe Maimed, Asurin l'saper u'lechabes. That when it comes to the Anshe Mishmar, these are the Kohanim that actually serve in the Beis HaMikdash, the Anshe Maimed, the Israelim who read the Torah in, the, in their respective communities as the, part of their avoda, they're not allowed to be l'saper they can't get a haircut or do laundry. However, in their week of their Mishmar, on Thursdays, okay, good. Why the distinctions? Why have you said this? Said the Gemara, so that people don't walk into their Mishmar when they look ridiculous. You should get a haircut, you should look put together. So the post can write that by uh, it's a it's a mitzvah to get a whatever mitzvah not a mitzvah derisa it's it's appropriate it's a, it's a, the right thing to do to get a haircut on erev chag you should not walk into a special meeting with a kodesh baruch Hu, uh, looking ridiculous go get a haircut everyone should have a nice haircut before yantiv so that's the din over there by the anshe mishmar and anshe maimid and that isn't even a chag that's just their mishmar it wasn't even a din derisa and a pasuk and chumash. Hachanami here too. When it comes to Chol Hamoed Kedeshi Lo Yikansu the Regel Kshen Menuvalin, we don't want people to say, "All right, I don't have time before Yantiv. I'll get one on Chol Hamoed." Therefore, we have a restriction. So if you think about it. It's actually not a direct prohibition to get a haircut or to shave during cholamoid. It's just rude to go into cholamoid without having shaved and you, oh, I'll, I'll do it on cholamoid. It's just not, it's just not right. It's a beautiful idea. We're very strict about this. We don't do haircuts and we don't. Uh, I don't even know what I do as a mole. I don't think I, I don't, I don't think I shave. I don't need to. I will have shaved three, four days ago, but uh, I have to look that up. I don't even know what the din is. But maybe a mole would shave. It, it should be mutter because the mitzvah. It's not, you didn't govern when the baby was born. Right. If you recommend to someone who's having a baby, can you please induce seven days before Cholamoid, eight days before Cholamoid, that's probably usser. Uh, sometimes that happens. I have parents who call and say, listen, I know you're traveling. I'm being induced anyways. Pick a day of these three, four days. So the Shiloh could actually come up. I don't like playing that role. Uh, I just tell them the dates I'm traveling and let them choose a little much for me. But people do ask, it's not an uncommon question, especially in the C-section land. Once a woman's had a couple of C-sections, they usually don't allow for natural pregnancies anymore. We have friends who've had five babies through C-section. Then the doctor said no more children. It's just get, getting dangerous at this point, but fine, whatever. It's a total tangent. Okay, that's what the Gemara says. We should not be nichnas the regel kshehen menuval, and that's why we're not allowed to get haircuts on cholamoy. So the Gemara says about 12 lines down, barib zerab, of the lo aveda erva regel now. Let's say that I lost something super important and I lost it on erev chag. So I didn't have the opportunity to shave or to do laundry. Now, inherently, there's nothing halachic about what I was looking for. 
I might have lost an heirloom. I might have lost my car keys. It doesn't really matter. Lemaisa, I ended up going into the Chag without having shaved. And do we treat this as an ones or not? Kevan de Anis Mutter, do we say that because there's an element of ones here, therefore, because you weren't able, quote unquote, to get a haircut or to do your to do your laundry beforehand, Mutter, therefore, on Cholamoid, you're allowed. O Dilma, Kevan de la Mukhamilsa, lo, because at Klape Chutz, when you walked into Yantiv, you looked like a Manuva. And then all of a sudden, the first day of Cholamoy, you show up, you're clean shaven, perfect beard. Like, that's not right. It's the low Mokhamilsa. Nobody knows why you didn't shave. So Amar Abayi, Abayi quotes the Gemara as well that we learned a long time ago in Maseches Psachim. Yom Rukol HaSrikin Asurin, Srike Baitus Mutarin. This is, I did not remember this Gemara, Klal Uchla. I don't know, David, do you remember this, Michael? I didn't remember this at all. Nothing. My brain was total off. This Gemara says that we learned this. What daf was it on? Psachim Lamed Zayin. Okay, that was a really long time ago. So the Gemara says that you're not allowed to put etchings into the matzah. Why are you not allowed to do that? Because we're afraid that it might add to the 18 minutes and it might leaven. Says the Gemara and Srike Baitus, who came up with this clever idea, we can take a little crimp, a little, a little branding uh, item and put a brand on it that says Yehuda Matzah. So it's perfect. That's a great marketing. Says the Gemara, Lemaisa, people don't know the difference between the hand-drawn version and the and the branded version. So therefore, we don't do either of them. So Yomru Kol HaSriken Asurin Srike Baitus Mutarin, the fact that nobody knows the difference between how it was done, that's a problem, which means to say over here that the fact that you lost something on Arab Yantif, nobody knows why you didn't shave. All they know is that on Yantif, you looked ridiculous. You had a huge beard. And on Cholamoid, you look like a Mensch. So no one's going to know why that happened. So the same thing, just like we don't allow for Srike Baitus, the branding, the branding on the matzah. Therefore, we also don't allow that. Says the Gemara, hold on one second. According to you, we have another halacha that was stated in the Amorayim. They only have one undergarment. They're allowed to do laundry. What do we say over there? There was mutter. Why don't we say over there? This little catchphrase that the Gemara is using here is that since we don't allow by the matzah freehand etching, we also don't allow the templated etching. Maybe we should say this person shouldn't be able to wash their, their single undergarment. So says the Gemara, don't worry. A little bit more than a third of the way down, the Gemara explained that in that case of a person having only one undergarment, that when a person is not wearing that garment underneath, which would otherwise potentially leave him revealed if there, the air would billow and his garment would, would be revealing in cases like that, they wear a belt. So everybody knows that when the guy comes to show in a belt on Cholamoid morning, he's doing laundry because it's last pair of clothing. No choice. That's mutter. That's mutter. Ravashi Masni, Ravashi taught a little bit differently. Ravashi Masni, boy Ribzera, Ribzera asked a different question. What if there was an Uman, Sha'avdaloa Veda, Erev Haregel Ma? What if there was an expert? And the Meforshim, some of the Meforshim here say that we're talking about the Sapar, the person who does the haircuts. You got one guy in town and he lost his scissors. He's frantically looking around the community to find a pair of scissors. He doesn't know where they are. Guess what happened? Nobody got haircuts. So says the Gemara, there it is Mukhamilsa. There everybody knows what's going on. They came home and Asha the barber, he can't find his, uh, okay, what should we do? So Uman Sha'avdalo Aveda Erev Haregel Mao, Kevan de Uman Hu Mukhamilsa. Here everybody knows that he's the guy. He can't find the scissors. Nobody got a haircut and therefore everyone can get haircuts during Cholamoy. It's really not perfectly the case that everybody knows what's going on. 
Therefore, lo, you should not be able to get a haircut, says the Gemara Teku. We don't know the answer to that question. Now, our Mishnah had framed out the case of Habami Medina Sayam, that if a person comes from Medina Sayam, that they are allowed to shave. However, Masnisan de lo There's apparently a Machlokes Tanoim about this. And the Machlokes Tanoim is that according to our Mishnah, that if you come from Medina Sayam, you're allowed to get a haircut. What does Rabbi Huda hold? The Tanya, Rabbi Huda says, Rabbi Huda Omer, Abami Medina Sayam, lo yigalayach. He should not get a haircut. I mean, they should yatsa, shalom birshus. He left Eretz Yisrael without permission. It's a new kimta, right? That's what the God had before him understand it. Omar Rava, let me explain what's going on here. This machlokes, the Chachamim and Rabbi Huda, let me explain. If it was Lashut, a person's just going to swim, they're just going to travel, it's a luxury vacation, they hopped on a cruise. Divrei Akol Aser. Too bad. You showed up back from your luxury uh, luxury cruise liner on Cholamoid. No haircut for you. Limizonos, if you got on your boat to travel because you needed food, everyone agrees to motor. you can definitely get a haircut when you return. No problem. You got on your boat to go to another island to make an extra million. You're already loaded. So to go and make more money, one shita compares this like traveling for luxury, and therefore you're not allowed when you return to get a haircut on Cholamoid. And some say, no, it's like going for food. And therefore, because you're going to make Parnasa, so therefore it is mutter to get a haircut when you return. Meisve says the Gemara, hold on one second, we have another shita. Omar Rebbe, near in divrei Reb Yehuda, kishe yotza shelo bereshuz, v'divrei chachamim kishe yotza bereshuz. So Rebbe says, I agree with Reb Yehuda when your reason for leaving was not good. And I agree with, Rav, Rav, with the chachamim when your reason for leaving was good. So this already, just as a formula, means that there's going to be a question because it sounds like just saying the... I agree with the person when they say yes, and I disagree with the person when they say no. Well, that, the Gemara is very bothered by this phrase, phraseology. My shalom birshus, this phrase, phrasing of Rebbe, when he says that Rebbe Huda, that he agrees to Rebbe Huda when it's shalom birshus, what was the case? If you're saying that it was just leisure travel, can't be talking about that. There's no way he'd agree to that. If you're saying that he was going for food to get some extra parnasa, that also can't be what Rebbe's talking about in the name of Rebbe Huda. Elabshita must be that it's leharvicha, and Rabbi Huda is strict about it because the Bryce says that if a person goes out for making extra money, then that's not allowed. It says the Gemara that doesn't work. Ema Seifa, the end of that Bryce reads near and that Rebbe held like the Shita of the Chachamim when the person left with permission. So then what is that Rishus? What does it mean there in the end of the Bryce? If you say the person was going out on his boat for Mizonos to make money, to make a minimum amount of money, everyone says that's Mutter, it must be that it's to, uh, to make extra money beyond the minimum requirements. But that doesn't make sense because the earlier part said, it doesn't make any sense because then there's a steer between the Rish and the Seifa because you're just holding like different people and opposite cheetahs. Doesn't make sense. So therefore, Hachi Kamar, we have to re-understand this Brisa about Rebbe as follows. Rebbe Huda agreed to 
to the Rabbanon, when a person leaves town for a bad reason, that's like, you went out for a leisure travel. Everyone agrees that if you're going out for leisure travel, it's problematic. And the Chachamim would say that if you're going to just make an extra buck, even though it's unnecessary, no problem. They agree there. But what's the second part of the Brisa? Getting to the end for the day. When did the rabbis agree to Yehuda? They agree that when you go out for a particularly good reason, what is that reason? That's the Mizonos. But when it comes to Mizonos, he does in fact agree with them. We're going to stop right here at Amar Shmuel. Tomorrow night, Emir Tzashem, another blot and a half. And again, Wednesday, tomorrow, Wednesday, and then Thursday, one blot, Friday morning, one blot, and then we'll be off on Shabbos back again on Sunday. Wishing you all a beautiful night.